0: I'm wondering where to begin in the series that I'm going to start with today. The reason that I'm wondering where to begin is because there is a problem in communicating certain concepts. Even in church, there are certain things that you try to relate to people that they have a very difficult time and they're challenged by They have a difficult time in being able to perceive them and to grasp them. And this uh, is actually kind of an amazing thing. And uh, just give them a few moments to work all this out while I I begin by telling you some basic fundamental truths about communication. Um, You will notice that whenever I begin uh, a new year, I always pray and, and we get a theme for the year. Unashamed, undaunted, unstoppable, for example, is our theme for this year. And um, that is because of the fact that God has a specific word that he is addressing to us in the course of this year as a congregation. You see, God looks at his entire body, his corporate body, as an entity in and of itself. But then within the corporate body, there are individual churches. And within the individual churches, there are individual believers, of course, And you have your individual needs, but what many people do not think about is that churches are, they have their own particular, as it were, identity. The seven churches of Asia were uniquely different, and they were separate one from another, and because they were each uniquely different, they had their own individual need for a word from God. Within those congregations, there were different people that would, of course, then have specific needs. But there was a corporate word that God uh, speaks to his whole body throughout the earth. And then there is a corporate word that he speaks to individual churches. Other churches in this city might not get the same word that we receive because of this uniqueness that I am presently describing. Now, to communicate truths is a challenging matter. Um, we would think that it would actually be easy because, take English for example, there are over 2 million words in the English language. The last time that I looked at a study, by some estimates, over 2 million words. The closest language to us has less than 1 million. So, on the surface, it would appear that we have, we have this huge vocabulary of words that are descriptive and communicative in nature with which to convey truth. Um, That's not really the case. English is the language of technology, business, and finance. That's one reason there are so many words connected with English. Um, Latin is the language of science. And that is why in taxonomy you have all of these different groupings, and they always use... Latin language or words to give them names. Not that that would really matter to you much, but if you ever see it, like in the animal kingdom, they have a a Latin name for everything that exists. And plant life or marine life, they all have a Latin name. That's why they do that. Latin is the language of, of science. However, English is the language of technology, business, and finance. Well, guess what's exploding right now? Technology is exploding. And that's why the English language has suddenly just absolutely mushroomed. And this is not being disrespectful of any other language that exists. English, in fact, borrows from most other languages that exist in the world. English is the language that is used by airline pilots. You cannot be an international pilot until you learn English. Because you have to be able to communicate with control towers all around the world and English is the language that is used to communicate internationally among airline pilots. And so whether it's KLM out of the Netherlands or Aeroflot out of Russia or South African Airways out of South Africa, you have to be able to speak English to be an international pilot. And you would think that because everyone is familiar with the English language, that communicating would be Um, not so much of a challenge uh, that it would be pretty easy to communicate concepts of truth. The biblical pattern is here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. Are you following this with me? And this is why the scripture talks about rightly dividing the word. You've got to exegete it, which means to break down the word into bite-sized pieces. And so the way that I apply that as a pastor Is you will never come here and find and hear me just preach a random sermon just off the wall at one week and then another the next week. I teach series. And so I get a word for the Lord from the Lord for this congregation that is relative to this particular house, what God is speaking to this house for the year. And then during the year, I will preach a number of series. I will teach many series about any number of different things to help flesh the theme out for that year, because that's the word that God is speaking to us about. I have been in a series on spiritual coverings. I'm shifting today into the, uh, another phase of this uh, particular series on spiritual coverings. There are eight of them. If you will recall, we've already covered six, blood coverings, prayer coverings, worship coverings, grace coverings, love coverings, so forth. And now I'm talking about today, beginning coverings of glory. This is a subject that I'm going to tell you up front is a subject that is foreign to the understanding of many believers. It is because they have never personally experienced it. The average working vocabulary, you might not realize this, of the average person is about 20,000 words. Remember I just told you that English has over 2 million But the average working vocabulary of the average individual is about 20,000 words. So even though we have this huge wealth of words to be able to communicate concepts and ideas, it's very, very difficult to be able to do so because we have limited tools, most of us do, that are available to us. And you see that all the time, and particularly... As you live in, in life, one of the biggest challenges you have on the job is problems of communication, right? One of the biggest problems you have in the classroom is problems with communication. It exists in the church as well. Um, for example, when I talk about problems of, of communication um, and being able to define concepts and things of this nature in a way that we can grasp them, um, You look at church bulletins. I, for years, have have collected funny misstatements in church bulletins. They're just, I preach all over the place, and everybody has a church bulletin, and I've seen some crazy stuff. Here are a few of my favorites. Thursday night, we will have a potluck supper. Prayer and medication to follow. I think they meant to say meditation. Or how about this one? Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and the community. (laughs) I hope that's not talking about Christian Tabernacle. How about this one? It's amazing that just putting a comma in the wrong place can completely change the meaning of a sentence. For those of you who have children and don't know it, comma, we have a nursery downstairs. I think they meant to say for those of you that have children, comma, and don't know it, we have a nursery here. Amen. The rosebud on the altar this morning is to announce the birth of David Allen Belzer, the son of Reverend and Mrs. Julius Belzer. I think that was supposed to be sun. Last Sunday was Easter. Here's a good one. This being Easter Sunday, we will ask Mrs. Lewis to come forward and lay an egg on the altar. I think I'd be willing to buy a ticket to see that. This one, the ladies of the church have cast off clothing of every kind. And they may be seen in the church basement Friday. How about this? A bean supper will be held on Tuesday evening in the church hall. Music will follow. <laughs> At the evening service tonight... The sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. (laughs) little period could have helped right there. Our youth basketball team is back in action Wednesday at 8 o'clock p.m. in the recreation hall. Come and watch us kill Christ the King. Miss Charlene Mason sang, I will not pass this way again. Talking about a service she had just been in. She had sang, I will not pass this way again. Giving obvious pleasure to the entire congregation. (laughs) And then this. Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of all those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands. (laughs) I hope this one is not true about me. Barbara remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for more transfusions. She's also having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of Pastor Jack's sermons. (laughs) I think I know what they were trying to say. You see, what we do is we learn in concept clusters. This is one of the most significant things that I ever learned in my life. I learned this in studying educational psychology. Concept clusters. You learn new information by attaching it to old information you've already mastered. This is why I'm not going to preach a sermon in this direction one Sunday and bounce off the other side of the wall over here next Sunday. There has to be some continuity of thought. There has to be some way that you attach things to what the people of God have already learned or What happens with sermon preaching is it just becomes a titillating exercise in entertainment. But there's no lasting benefit. My calling and responsibility is to shepherd you into the fullness of what God has for your life and for you to be able to fulfill your God-ordained assignment and destiny, the reason for which you were created and brought into this world. It will take me a a few Sundays, maybe two or three Sundays, to get through what I'm going to talk about when I talk about coverings of glory. Um, I I want to take the time this morning to break it down. I'm not even going to go back to the the text that I normally read in Numbers. I would like to read Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled, everybody say filled, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The word knowledge here, the Hebrew word for knowledge, means to know, to discern, or to perceive, or to recognize. And what that means literally then is the the earth will be filled with the awareness or the knowledge or the perception or the recognition of the glory of God. To what extent, you might ask? As the waters cover the sea. Meaning without exception. There's no place in the ocean where water does not penetrate unless it is shielded from water being able to penetrate that place. That is to say that when you get into the ocean, it's all wet. And to that measure, there is a day coming, the scripture prophesies that people will be aware, there will be an awareness, a recognition that this is the glory of God that we are seeing. Now, I love this verse because the prophecy actually, I think, goes in the face of those who are doomsayers, naysayers, who are always convinced that, you know, the worst days of America, the worst days of the world are just right ahead of us, and that's going to get worse and worse and worse. I happen to be the opposite of that. There are people who have trained themselves to look for problems, there are others. And by definition, this is what success means. They've trained themselves to recognize the potential in every problem, the opportunity. I've shared that with you before. Everything that we have, that we utilize is a convenience. From the microphone to the iPad that I'm preaching from to to the the chair you're sitting in was designed to solve a problem. Somebody saw a problem. In fact, most people saw a problem. I have to stand and listen to this guy preach all day long. Somebody said, oh, "Well, let's let's see if we can't do something about that." They fixed created a chair. Of course, that was many, many, many centuries, millennials ago. Microphones. People used to have to shout over the platform. There was literally a a large square board a thing that had been built, and it would project the voice of the speaker into the congregation. That was the best they had to work with. And so everybody talked about the problem of communicating to crowds of any size. Somebody else came along and saw in the problem an opportunity. And Bose and others like them made a ton of money because they saw an opportunity where everybody else just saw a problem. Henry Ford, others, um, Thomas Edison, everybody else talked about the problem of seeing and darkness. He created the light bulb and uh, saw an opportunity where others saw problems. Now, this is, in my opinion, really, really an important part of what we're talking about. There will come a day when the presence of God's glory, I'm going to define that in a moment, is going to be so evidenced, so prominently on display, that everybody will see it so completely, thoroughly, will they be convinced of it that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters do the sea? There will not be anybody that is left with a question in their mind. And so all of those that only see problems right now, I want to tell you that in my estimation that what is happening is, is that God is setting things up to reveal himself. Can somebody in the building say Amen. Amen. And so, in the first service this morning, I began by having a, a brother. His name is Brother Ernesto. He's a member of our church. He stopped me three Sundays ago in the hall as I was walking out. And he said, Pastor, he said, I, wanna, I know what that dimension is like. He has two sons that are hemophiliacs. And if you know anything about this, this is a disorder for one of the clotting mechanisms that God created in the human body, designed to cause blood to clot, that that is missing in their chemistry, their personal biological chemistry. And people who have had children that are hemophiliacs have suffered. People who are hemophiliacs have suffered. Ordinary things that most of us would never think twice about can be life endangering to them. There have been a lot of advances made since HIV in the world of blood chemistry that has helped and benefited people that are hemophiliacs. The two diseases are not related, but this is where they do, uh, as they were, share a common concern. Hemophiliacs require multiple transfusions in the course of their life, blood transfusions. And, of course, with the, the advent of HIV, everybody became concerned about the blood uh, banks being becoming contaminated. And, in fact, many hemophiliacs did contact Uh, HIV as a result of being given contaminated blood and lost their lives. Thank God for the advances that have been made in both of these areas of medical need. And uh, they have been huge. There was, as as I mentioned, in the 730 service, this gentleman stopped me, Brother Ernesto. He and his family have been members here for some years. He had come some six years ago. His son began to hemorrhage in his brain, and he went into a coma, and they didn't think he was going to live. He coded twice, twice, and in Herman Memorial Hospital, um, this man was there. The dad was there the second time he coded. They literally, I'm not making this up, they had to call security, the nurses, and the doctors to get this man and take him out of the hallway because they felt like he was creating a disturbance. You know what the disturbance was? He was praying. His son had just coded, and he was God, he got a hold of God just between me and you. This is just between me, and you, and like they used to say, the gatepost. If that ever happens, don't you worry about whether or not you get arrested, you get a hold of God. Amen. And he got a hold of God. And God honored his prayers. He stopped me after service one day. I use this little cloth and because some Sundays it's more warm up here than maybe others. I I don't know if the air conditioning works better. They keep it cooler or what it is. And maybe when you're freezing, it's just right up here. I don't know. But I always tell them to try to make it best for the, the congregation so that you can be comfortable. One Sunday I finished preaching. He came up six years ago, and said, I want the cloth that you have used today to wipe your brow. I want you to understand that in the things I'm going to talk about today, please do not in any way feel that I am elevating myself, because I am not. I just want to tell you a story, okay? And a few little simple things I've learned along the way. Um, I will also say this. There are enough people in a church who feel like their God-ordained assignment and their area of anointing is to make sure the pastor never gets an inflated ego. That's their personal calling in life. And I can tell you that they are fulfilling what they perceive to be their assignment perfectly. So if you worry there's any ego involved in this, no trust me that that's not where I'm coming from he took my prayer cloth we prayed over it took my 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 face cloth and we prayed over it together and his son who had been in a coma was in a coma for a month he came and laid it on his forehead and when it touched his forehead his son the coma broke and he jumped in the bed that testimony has been Three weeks ago, standing out there at the corner right by the office, I was on my way to my office at the end of the service. That testimony has gotten a hold of me. Not because I played some little role in it. My role was insignificant. But because of his faith. That is a dimension of spirituality that most people cannot grasp. Because what actually transpired was that it went beyond the normal laws of physics, physical science. Whatever those laws are that have to do with thermodynamics and entropy and and gravity and all of the other things and, and motion and so forth. Those laws, whatever those physical laws were, were temporarily suspended for a moment. And another law transcended them that was put into effect. I know that what he did placed a demand upon the anointing. And the law of transference says something was transferred. But try to explain that to people who have never experienced a miracle. And they're going to start talking about coincidences. They're going to look for a logical explanation. And I want to talk to you today about a dimension that there is no logical explanation or vocabulary to be able to communicate it effectively. And so I realize that right away I'm going to lose some of you. I know that up front. I'll also tell you this is why I don't teach on this at at home. What I'm teaching in this whole series, you notice that I once taught years ago on spiritual coverings, didn't go anywhere near this deep into the subject. And the reason is, is most of us, again, concept clusters, we don't have the experience here to be able to attach this to, hopefully ministers and frontline leaders do. So what I'm teaching in this series, what I'll teach today is normally what I teach in ministers' conferences around the world when I'm training pastors and leaders. But um, the average believer does not have any place to be able to attach information like this. And therefore does not have a perspective with which to be able to receive it and interpret it. It is estimated that 76% of all Christians in the United States have never had a personal encounter with God. They got saved. They might have been moved by emotion. They had a moment of faith. But outside of that, a life-transformative encounter with God, they have never experienced it, which is then why you understand now the reason for me bringing Lloyd Bustard in tonight. Because with five services on Sunday, back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, a Spanish service follows the 11:15 15 service. That our service concludes at 1 o'clock. They come in here at 2:15, And um, with five services back-to-back, It doesn't leave the time for us to be in the altar together crying out to God for some of the things that I grew up seeing in church. That I just knew about God. There's actually a place right now that Christianity has come to where very, very many believers have doubts in their own mind about their relationship with God, the existence of God, the reality of prayer it's efficaciousness. Does God heal? There are whole denominations that will argue and tell you that God doesn't heal. The reason is they have nothing within the framework of their experience that has exposed them to that ever having happened. And therefore, concept clusters again, they have nothing to attach this to. I remember the revival I got saved in. I have a, had a cousin that was severely diabetic. She's since gone on to be with the Lord. And the minister that was preaching in the meeting when I got saved, he also had an unusual ministry of miracles. And um, he prayed for her, and her feet were so swollen, legs and ankles. She actually bought shoes that were several sizes too large for her feet because that's all she could wear because of the swollen state of her, her ankles and legs. And while he was praying for her, her feet shrunk down to their normal size and i remember her she tried to walk in her shoes and couldn't had to take them off and i remember seeing her walk to her car carrying her shoes in her hand i've seen some stuff in church amen and i realize that some of you are going like you know and my heart aches for people that live in this broken world that have never had an encounter with a God like that to show them how real He is. Because I will tell you this, if you're struggling with your personal devotion or total commitment to God, you're struggling, are you listening? And you find it hard just laying it all out there on the altar and being all in, and this world speaks to you and pulls you, You know what I think it takes to fix that? One encounter with God. And God demonstrating the reality of who He is and all of that other stuff. It just suddenly pales into insignificance. If your God is this big, but your needs are this big, it's hard to believe in Him. But if God ever shows up in a demonstration of who He is and suddenly... He becomes so great that those needs that were of paramount importance and significance earlier now are down here. This doesn't ever matter much to you anymore. Not the same. This week we saw a demonstration of what I'm talking about. There's another couple that attends a 730 service. Maybe some of you ought to start attending that service. Mark and Linda Miller that I've known a long time. They actually got saved in a meeting that I was preaching in Lake Charles, Louisiana, as an evangelist. And I will start my 29th year as pastor here next month. I came in 1988, the month of May. So that revival was several, a number of years before then. So that's how long I've known Mark and Linda Miller. Mark is an engineer's engineer. He's handled projects that are $150 million projects. He is sharp. But like, can I say this? Mark would get a kick out of me saying this, and he wouldn't be offended by it. He would shake his head and say, that's the truth. Like, People that deal with the reality of numbers, it's hard for any ambiguity in those numbers. Here's the problem that I have with some of our sciences or our subjects in school. We have many educators, so don't be offended by what I'm going to say. If you think about it, I, th- I believe you'll agree because I've heard educators say, say this so many times. English, um, English composition, there's a lot of subjectivity in, in writing a thesis or a paper. A lot. For example, whether you, I never preach politics, but whether you're for or against our current president, it doesn't even matter, but you will notice that, that it has become highly, highly politicized and therefore, uh, we hear it almost every week, somebody was asked to write a paper in school and either they wrote f- something good about the president and got an F for it, or they wrote something bad about the president and maybe got an A for it or something, and What the teacher is doing is reading their own personal beliefs into the material. It's it's not being based upon, rather, is it the composition correct? Does it answer the six questions, interrogatives, who, what, why, when, where, and how? It's not, they're not even looking at that. It's just the subject is toxic as far as they are concerned, based upon their personal politics. Here's what I like about math. Math is different from that. Two plus two equals four, whether you're a Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian. You see where I'm coming from now. There's no ambiguity at all. Doesn't matter if you're you're French, Russian, American, Chinese, Hispanic, it's still going to add up to be the same number. Right? Math also is built upon a different system. You see, you start out... Learning the basics, one plus one. You learn the basic rules of addition. Then you move into the other subjects. And, and somewhere several years down the road, you are introduced into subjects like algebra and geometry and all of these other things. But trust me when I tell you, if you didn't get the fundamentals of the earlier subject of math down, you're not going to make it when it comes to algebra. You just won't make it. And that's one reason that so many people hate math is because it requires the memorization of so many different formulas. People that are really good at math tell me the first thing they do when they take a test is go in, sit down, get a a blank piece of paper and write all the formulas out before they ever start the test. And that way when they're tired, they just glance at the formula And move forward. Math is actually very easy once you learn the basics. But if you miss the basics, woe be to you. And my friend, Mark, that I was telling you about, because he deals with numbers, doesn't leave much room for faith. He deals with what you see. Well, this week, boy, did he ever get an awakening On Monday, his wife, Linda, had a headache. Headache didn't get any better. Tuesday, she had to go to the emergency room, then the hospital, then Herman Memorial. They found a brain tumor. And it was as large as a large lemon. Right and left side. They had to do an emergency surgery on Thursday. Now, Pastor Donnie and I, Pastor Irvin, all the pastors here that have done hospital calls, I've been in a lot of hospital rooms with people who had brain surgeries. We had people in the 730 service who had this, and they couldn't believe what this lady's testimony was. may have had people, maybe have people here right now that have experienced this. They did the surgery on Thursday. When they wheeled her out of the operating theater into the recovery room, she was already becoming awake, and they had told the family... Don't be surprised because she probably will not recognize any of you. She's going to have to relearn certain basic skills, communication, so forth. Uh, So don't be upset by any of these things happening. She won't even know how to, to talk because of the location of the tumor. They pulled her out of the operating room, and she woke up, and she was laughing and joking and talking with the doctors and the nurses as they were wheeling her into recovery. Amen. Talking about major brain surgery. And then I called on Thursday afternoon to speak with Mark. I was still in Africa trying to get home. And I've known these folk a really long time. And I knew that Mark and lives in this little world here where numbers, we talked about it last night on the phone, you know, where everything is black or white. I mean, he's an engineer. That's what he's trained to, to look at, Right. Well, boy, the doctors and nurses started coming in saying this is a miracle. We have never in all of the years that we have done these kind of surgeries ever seen anything like this before. She went home yesterday. I'm not making any of this up. They were going to come to the 730 service this morning. I said, for heaven's sakes, at least wait a week. just had brain surgery what is this dimension that makes things like this happen where even the doctors and the nurses are calling it a miracle or where a man takes a simple cloth that the pastor has used that he happened to perspire on and lays it on his son's forehead who is in a coma and the son comes to while the cloth is on his forehead. What is this? What is this dimension? Most of us can't relate to that. Can I hear somebody in the building just honestly acknowledge that's true? Amen. And we're kind of like Thomas if we don't see it. And if we do see it, we're Tonight, we have Lloyd Bustard with us. It's not by accident that he's here at the same time that I am beginning to talk about coverings of glory. What is a covering of glory? It's different from any of the others that we talked about. A covering of glory. You need to understand there are two primary words in Scripture that talk about the glory of God. One is the word kabod. And it literally means heaviness, weightiness. Or significance. It doesn't mean heaviness in an emotional sense or as in gloominess or sadness, but rather it refers to heaviness as in importance, weightiness as in matters that are really, really of prime concern. You see this in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 21 through 22, and you will remember that Israel ascended under the leadership of Levi, I'm sorry, Eli, one of the sons of uh, descendants of Levi, tribe of Levi. He's the high priest. Hannah has prayed this incredible prayer that has moved God and God has given her a son named Samuel that she has in turn lent to the Lord, loaned to the Lord all of the days of his life. And he has been raised now by Eli and Samuel has had an encounter with God and has heard the voice of the Lord speak. And Israel goes into battle with their ark rivals and enemies, the Philistines. This lady is married to one of the sons of Eli. Eli's sitting on a fence. And he's waiting for news of the battle. And the battle doesn't go well because Israel sinned. And they've carried into the battle the, the physical manifestation of the glory of God, which is the ark of the covenant of the Lord. That's this box that I spoke about earlier a couple of weeks ago. And on the back is the mercy seat with the wings of the the cherubims or the seraphims stretched out to one another. And in between is the Shekinah, the presence of God, that hovering blue flame of fire that is there, the visible presence of God. And they carry that into the battle. And what is happening is because they have sinned, the glory of God does not come to their aid, though... Uh, They've carried it into battle, and instead the Philistines win the battle. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, are killed. One of them is her husband. She's giving birth at this moment. And when they bring the word to the old man, Eli, he hears it, falls over backwards, and literally breaks his neck. His bones are brittle. He's very old. And now they take all of this news to this woman giving birth and say, The ark is taken. Your father-in-law was killed. Your brother-in-law was killed and your husband too. And she cries out as she gives birth to this child and says, Name him ich abode, Meaning there is no glory. That the, the weightiness, the significance, the heaviness of God that accompanied Israel has now been taken away. The Greek word for this is doxa. D-O-X-A. And you find that in 1 John 1 and 1 and again in verse 14. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Now watch this, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His doxa. His weightiness. The doxa as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. The heaviness, the significance of God. We saw it in Jesus. Here is what is incredible. These terms, glory, doxa, kabod, for the average person in this room, and I am keenly aware and cognizant of this fact, you're wondering how this relates to you in any possible way. But trust me, there is a time in every person's life when you're going to need God to show up and not be subject to the laws of science that you have lived your life by all of your existence. You're going to need a God that's bigger than science. You're going to need a God to show up and manifest who He is. The creator of science. In fact, it is often this dichotomy that people establish in their minds that science is on that side and God is on this one that causes some people that embrace science to believe that anything spiritual is just, uh, you know, not so. What I'm trying to tell you is there is a realm beyond natural science. That the God of glory created the realm of science that governs this world. But his glory is not subject to what he created. And God can transcend any one of those rules at any time he wishes. Adam was created. Eve were created. As we've already stressed so many times here with the glory of God as their image. You see, why is it important? I'll tell you why it's important that you understand the significance of what Adam and Eve lost and why you need to at least be aware there is what is called the glory realm that exists. This is the way it works. What gets you to the next level will not get you to the next level. Uh, I don't care if that's finances, education, it doesn't care if it's relationships or ministry. What it takes to get to one level will not carry you to the next level. This is clearly demonstrated in Scripture. Look at Israel. Israel is seen in bondage in Pharaoh's house. They're seen in the wilderness, not having yet possessed the promised land. And the third place they're seen is in their promised land. What it took to get them to each of these respective places was different. It took the blood to break Pharaoh's bondage. They were slaves. But it wasn't until the blood reminiscent of Calvary was splashed on the doorpost and over the threshold and then pulled down on the the floor. Blood Blood here, blood here, blood here, blood here form of a cross. And until they ate the lamb, wasn't until that night that Pharaoh's bondage over them was broken, but it was broken by the blood that night, and they went out of Egypt, free men and women. But as I've said before, just because they got free and got into the wilderness, doesn't mean that their attitudes had been changed. I tell you this so often because it is so profoundly true. And therefore, I stress again, you can't get too much of the Word of God. You can get too little, but not too much. Because if you know anything about addictions of any kind, you've ever had a relative that's been a drug addict? You ever struggle with an addiction yourself? If there's anybody here dealing with things like pornography, different kind of issues, depression. Let me tell you that even after you get the bondage broken, if you don't have a transformation of your thoughts, you can come to church on Sunday morning, get saved, and get filled with the Holy Spirit and the drug addiction be broken and be back doing drugs by Sunday afternoon. I'm preaching better than you're talking right back to me right now. I'm not making this up. I've dealt with this my whole life. Things like this. People come in and they get the, the bondage is broken because the blood breaks the hold of Pharaoh. But it doesn't change their thinking. And they have been yoked up to process, processes of thought, ways of thinking, and attitudes that even though the bondage is broken, it now takes the anointing to break the yoke. thinking. That's why I preached that a couple of weeks ago. You can be free, but still think in the same way. And if you still think the same way, you will end up where you were before you got free. Mm -hmm. Amen. Juneteenth is coming up in a couple of months, which is a celebration that folk in Texas know about because Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation Setting all slaves free. I think it was in the month of September or October of one year. Scheduled to go into effect January the following year. Just a few months away. Yet it was over two and a half years before news got to Texas. They didn't have social media. They didn't have NBC, ABC. They didn't have uh, television, telewoman, telegraph, anything else, you know. (laughs) I know, I know. I, I, I deserve... Somebody to get mad at me about that, but I had to make sure you were still listening. Tell a man or anything, I got your attention back, didn't I? Until Gordon Granger, General Gordon Granger, arrived in Galveston. And on the balcony of a building that still stands made the announcement that over two and a half years ago our president signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Up until then, slave owners would not tell slaves they had been set free. But once they found out the truth, you can say, come on and go back home. I'm not going with you. You're not my, my slave master anymore. And yet the truth was, The word had been given two and a half years previously. But just because a declaration has been made doesn't mean you're walking in it if you're still thinking the same way you thought before the declaration came. The blood breaks the bondage. The anointing breaks the yoke. But the glory and that, so the blood will get you out of slavery. The anointing will get you through your wilderness by transforming your thinking. But it takes the glory to get into the promised land. That's another dimension that most people don't even realize exists that are believers. Hold on with me now. Watch what happens, Israel goes up to Jordan's river when it's overflowing all its banks. Like I've said before, six months they could have walked through almost dry shod. If you've ever been to the Jordan River, you know what I'm talking about. During the dry season, there's barely enough water there to get your feet wet. But during the rainy season, it overflowed its banks. The priests were commanded at the height of the rainy season, when Jordan was at flood stage, overflowing its banks, to take the ark... Four guys one here one here one here one here put the ark on their shoulders what did the ark represent the manifest glory of God they carried the glory of God down to the river walked into the water the moment their feet touched the water the water skidded back and when their feet touched the, the saturated ground at the bottom of the rib, river bed it dried up upon contact with their feet and God changed the physical properties of water. You're told there are three forms of substance. Water, um, uh, and, and as far as water is concerned. It's either a solid, a gas, or a liquid. i got news for you. There's a fourth. God caused the water to congeal and it's stacked up like pancakes. Literally, read your Bible. The water stacked up. That's exactly what the Hebrew says. Amen. I've seen stacks of cordwood, but I've never seen stacks of water, unless it's been in bottles. And it remained that way until a nation of three and a half to four million people walked through the riverbed, dry riverbed, came out the other side. And when the priest who carried the glory walked out, the moment their feet left the riverbed, the waters came rushing back in and returned to their normal properties. They actually experienced something occurring that caused water to be transformed into something that physical science and the laws of physical science have no explanation for. You gotta stay with me. You're gonna need a God like that at some point in your life. Yes, you are. You're gonna need a God to show up that's gonna make things happen that you can't explain in a classroom, that a doctor cannot explain. Or find under a microscope. You're going to need a God to show up in a courtroom. You're going to need a God to show up somewhere in your life that's going to make something happen that you just simply have no vocabulary to be able to define. And here's what you need to know God wants us to carry His glory, His weightiness man once did. He was created in the image of likeness of God. But as I've said so many times before, what does that mean? I've asked the question. It certainly doesn't mean what you and I infer from that, that, that Adam and Eve had eyes and ears and a nose because God did. No, to the contrary. God is a spirit that fills every part of this universe and he doesn't have a body. The Bible says he does not have flesh and bones. Jesus said that to Thomas after his resurrection. I did, the spirit does not have flesh and bones. Now watch this. Because Thomas had said, y'all, y'all, you guys saw spirit when Jesus resurrected. No, no. It's not what they saw. When it says Adam and Eve were created in the likeness and the image of God, it meant they were created in his image, which is his glory. God's image is Glory. It's the kibbutz. And anytime there is a criminal scene, talk to anybody in this building that's involved in, in, in law enforcement, a criminal leaves a residue of himself on everything he touches. CSI. It's called DNA, right? DNA. God's DNA is his glory. When man was created by God, he was created in God's glory image. According to the book of Psalms, chapter number 8, and remember that point about the DNA because I'm going to get back there in just, just a brief moment. This is what Psalms, chapter 8, verse 4 or 5 says. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. The Hebrew word there is a little lower Then, somebody help me put that verse up there. Come on, where we at? I need your verse up there quickly. Psalms 8. Made him a little lower than the angels. There we go. The Hebrew word is Elohim. Elohim. You know what that means in Hebrew? It means God. Man was made a little lower than God. You say, why didn't the translators translate it that way? Think about it. 500 years ago when they were translating the Bible? You look around and look at people being who people are. and You say, this is made lower than God. No, it must have meant, must have meant this, the spiritual realm. And so they translated, man was created a little lower than the angels, meaning the spiritual realm. That's not what it says, a little lower than God. And it said, you have crowned him with glory, which is that word kabod and honor. Kabod. Here's what I want you to see. The word crowned and the Hebrew does not mean something that sits on top of your head. The Hebrew word there means something different. It means surrounded or encircled. You have surrounded or encircled Him with your glory. To prove to you that it means something other than angels, look at this translation. This is the God's Word translation. Many translations translate it properly now. You have made him a little lower than yourself and crowned him with glory and honor. And so man was created with glory surrounding him. This is why when Adam and Eve fail and God came and asked the question, we see revealed in their response an awareness that they had just lost something. Adam, where are you? I'm hiding because I'm naked. What did they lose? They didn't lose a crown that sat on their head. They lost the surrounding of glory that encircled them. Are you ready now? They lost the covering of glory. This is why I'm talking about coverings of glory. You are going to need at some point in your life, as I've already said, God to show up. People ask why? Did people live to be so old back then? The answer to that is simple. Is that as I said, when God touches something, there remains a latency of his DNA. And his DNA is his glory. So even after God touches it and walks away, there still remains something of who he is that is upon that person. And so you read about people in the days of the Bible. Adam lived to be uh, 930. uh, Methuselah 669. And it kept going on and on, and then slowly the age limit began to drop. And then you have Moses, who lived to be 120, until you get to David, who is like, as it were, a prototype of modern man, and David lives to be 70. And so 70 plus a few years is our average lifespan now. Amen. And so what has happened is, over the passage of time, as man got away from the garden the glory, the residue of it that was upon man began to fade. And when it was strongest, man lived to be the oldest. But it began to fade. Is there a way to get it back? Yeah. Why did Moses live to be 120? He spent 40 days in the presence of the glory realm. When he came back, he didn't even realize that his own person had become saturated with the glory of God. And people looked at him and said, You're gonna to have to put something over your face because we can't stand to look at you. Your face is shining. He walked out of the glory realm carrying a latency of the of the residue of God's glory shining in him. Now, fast forward to the book of Acts, Peter and John have been in the presence of the glory dimension. And Whenever they would go to the temple at the hour of prayer, word got around that if you lay your sick people where Peter's shadow will fall on them. So people would get out there and lay lay them on this side of the street over here because the sun's shining from that direction. And when the shadow of Peter would touch these sick people, there was still so much of the residual glory of God in his shadow that it caused sick people to be healed. Now back to what does it make any difference? What happens with this right here? A simple cloth that I use to wipe my brow while I'm preaching. It isn't me. This church has experienced a dimension of God's glory and there is a residual Effect of that that still remains. And when he took this little simple cloth and laid it on a boy who had been in a coma. Who had coated twice. The boy's eyes open and he jumps up and he awakens. And listen ladies and gentlemen, what am I trying to describe to you? I'm talking about a dimension beyond medical science. Beyond an understanding of physical laws. Why am I preaching this? Because I've got news for you. Tonight, I believe the glory of the Lord is getting ready to show up in this place. (laughs) Lloyd sent me a text message yesterday and asked me to tell you that. That the glory of the Lord is going to be made manifest tonight. He's been in prayer. In fact, he left his church. He and Pam, his wife, they left the church And to come and spend a week seeking God to be in the pulpit tonight. I don't know what's getting ready to happen. But if I were you, I would not miss it for any amount of money in the world. Some of you have children right now that don't even know if there is a God. And they're wondering if mom and dad even know what they're talking about. Because they were not raised like I was to see a physical demonstration of God showing up. The church world has drifted away from that. And my contention is we've got to get back to the place that God is real to us again. And that God is bigger than anything in our lives. And bigger than our problems. And bigger than the devil. And bigger than the boss. And bigger than mechanics. And and bigger than physics. And bigger than finances. People need a personal encounter with God. And I can tell you, when once that happens, you will never be the same again. You see, some of you are struggling with surrender right now. And the reason is is that the God you're trying to surrender to is simply too small. You don't want to surrender to somebody that small. So what's the solution? You need to see God the way He really is. Because He's a God worthy of your surrender. Deserving of your surrender. You can lay yourself down at His feet and say, I surrender all. Because nothing else in this world will ever come close to matching the significance of who He is. Or the majesty of His power. Once you have an encounter with God, this other stuff that tempts you and tugs on you doesn't matter any longer. Right now you're being pulled by a world that that is yanking on your arm trying to get you to go this direction or that one. But if God ever shows up and you see revealed the manifest glory of the presence of God, trust me, it's not hard to surrender to somebody like that. My time is already gone.